0: Some of you know that my first church that I served following seminary was in the old town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, over near Raleigh. And it was a bit of an anomaly of a church in that time because it was basically a brand new church, only about 10 years old, but it was growing like crazy. And there were all these young families that were part of the church. And thus, when we would have baptisms on the first Sunday of the month, sometimes we would have multiple families bringing their children to be baptized at that time. We would just kind of line them up and do them right across the front of the sanctuary. And it was a great time for the church family. On one of these Sundays, just after I had arrived, uh, we had six children that were going to be baptized from different families. And of course, the senior pastor was out of town, so this was my big chance, right? I met with all the families, I did all the training, this was gonna be great. And as the service came, we were going through the prayer confession much as we do here before the baptisms. And during that time of silence for personal confession, I could not help but hear the words that were spoken. I don't wanna get baptized. (laughs) Intriguing. As I opened my eyes following the silence, I couldn't help but look and wonder, who is it that doesn't want to receive the grace of God? Who is it that doesn't want to become a part of God's family? Who is it that doesn't want eternal life? And two rows back, I saw Kyle. Not Kyle Young. (laughs) But Kyle, I believe, was about four years old. And he was one of the older children that was going to be baptized that day. And I saw him there with his mother who had a loving headlock on him. (laughs) As the families began to come forward and he mumbled just loud enough for most of those in the sanctuary to hear, I don't want to get baptized. I was a new pastor. And all I knew to do was line these children up and go down the line, ask the questions, and baptize the children. Even Kyle, who by the time I got to him had ceased talking but was just growling at that moment. And as we finished, never was I so grateful to give a prayer of thanksgiving. That God gives us grace even when we don't ask for it or want it at that time. Upon further reflection later on, I wondered if Kyle might be onto to something. Maybe none of us would want to get baptized if we really thought about the implications of what it means. Maybe Kyle was pointing us toward a truth that not many of us want to acknowledge in the church today. Many of us think of baptism as nothing more than getting the baby done. Got to get the baby done. It's what good people do, particularly good Presbyterians. It's cute. It's warm. It's lovely. Sometimes we get to laugh. Sometimes the whole family comes from out of town, and we can have a nice lunch afterwards. But maybe Kyle points us to the fact of what Paul was writing about in Romans today. The truth is that baptism into Christ is baptism into his death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those who was part of the resistance to Hitler in Nazi Germany, and he is the one who wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Jesus bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die. In the ancient church, St. Ambrose of Milan, who was the one who baptized, St. Augustine wrote, whoever is baptized is baptized into the death of Christ. And what does that mean? That Christ died, even as he died you also must taste death. As Christ died to sin and lives for God, so also you must die to the past pleasures of sin. When you plunge into the water, you receive the likeness of his death and burial. And when you are crucified, you are joined to Christ. Maybe this business of baptism is more serious than any of us give it credit for. Baptism's a difficult enough thing to grasp for an adult, much less for a child. There is so much confusion around what's going on. There have been splits throughout church history over what exactly is happening in this water as Jesus called us to share it. But I believe the primary confusion is who the primary actor is in baptism. We talk about the covenant promises that we have as Presbyterians. Baptism in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition is about promises, it's about covenant. In our church, the principal actors could be seen to be those parents who bring their children to be dedicated to Almighty God and to following Jesus much as Hannah did in the Old Testament with Samuel, much as Mary and Joseph did in the New Testament with Jesus. It's what good, God-fearing people do. Maybe they're the primary actors. Later on, or in other traditions, maybe the primary actors is that older person, that adult, who says, I want to follow Jesus. I've never been baptized. I want to make a public profession of faith. Are they the primary actor in that place? But do any of us really know what is being done in the profound mystery of baptism? Do any of us really understand? You know, we we say we want people to come when they really understand what's going on here. Who understands what God is doing in the water? I know I don't. The needful thing for us to remember in baptism is that the primary actor is God none other than God Almighty creator of heaven and earth, the one who invites us to come. It is his ordinance, not any humans. No group of people got together at some point and said, you know what would be really cool? Is if we got a bowl of water and we dunked people in it to mark them as gods. Jesus is the one at his great commission who said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We do it in obedience as the church of Jesus Christ to what he called us to do. We do it not because it adds names to the church's role, but because this is God's chosen instrument to bring people into his family, to unite them to his Son, and to make us brothers and sisters in him by the Holy Spirit. It is his chosen tool In baptism, God, through his church, speaks the welcome to that new child, whatever their age is, young or old, into his adopted covenant family. And he gives them their eternal identity, beloved child of God. Have you heard that word spoken over your life as the ultimate identity of who you are, the beloved child of God before you could ever claim it for yourself, before you ever wanted it for yourself. That is not something that any human can do for another. It is something that only God can speak. And even as the church father Tertullian reminds us, God has no grandchildren. Each one must be reborn, remade, changed. It might give us a clue, this identity, for why Martin Luther, when he felt attacked by the devil, would respond by shouting, "I am baptized." Not that he was so strong or so able, but that he belonged to one who was strong and able. And to 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 persecute Martin Luther was to persecute the one to whom he belonged. The Apostle Paul is keen to grasp this theme of identity in chapter 6 of Romans that we read here today of who we are because the church was wrestling at the time and people were saying, stop me if you've heard this one before, well, we're going to be forgiven anyway. Why should we stop sinning? Paul says, absolutely not. That's not who you are. We have not been granted redemption and forgiveness of sins so that we can go on sinning. Paul writes, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we might walk in newness of life. He calls us to die the death of baptism, and if we take it seriously, it'll profoundly change the way that we live day by day with the people around us. Luther asserts again, That baptism is death by drowning, that in baptism God is drowning the old man of sin in our lives, but he also points out the old man is a good swimmer. I don't know if you experience this in your life, I do. Sin is not done with me and I'm not done with sin. For it comes up again and again in our lives. And the Apostle Paul was not a stranger to this. Think about when he wrote and said, all the things that I want to do, I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, I do. Help me, God. The old man's a good swimmer. When we are baptized, we are marked with the mark of Christ's cross. We are sealed with his seal. We are branded not with our own name or our own identity, but with the mark of Jesus Christ, who has claimed us for his own, so that we may know, so that the devil may know, so that the world may know the one to whom we belong and in whom we have our identity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even as sin and death no longer has dominion over Jesus, so sin and death no longer has dominion over those who belong to him. We die. We die as Christ died to the desires of our own hearts that usurp the place of God on the throne of our lives. Our desires to be rich and to have followers our desire to be successful and important, our desire to be loved and to be liked, our desire to be beautiful and winsome, our desire to be competent and in control, at least in the eyes of those around us. When we follow these desires, we desire ourselves right out of being the people that God has created and called us to be. We have to die. We have to die also to a past that might be difficult for us to reckon with. We die to the expectations of ourselves and of our parents and the people around us, of everything that they tell us that we are supposed to be. Everything that we have spent our whole lives trying to live up to. We have to die to these things because our life is defined by our union with Christ. And not by the expectations of any human being on the planet around us. We die to these things. Don't you know that when you were baptized into Christ, Paul writes, you were baptized into a death like His. This morning you're going to be invited to come forward. To receive a reminder of the water of baptism again on your forehead in the sign of the cross. Not so that you can be re-baptized, there is only one baptism in a person's life. But as the water flows from your head today in the sign of the cross, remember that it is a sign of death, of dying to ourselves even as the Lord Jesus Christ did. He died for our sins, and we are united with him in that death. But that is not the final word of baptism. The final word of baptism is resurrection life, and this is where it gets good, for when we are dead to sin, we are alive in Christ. Paul writes, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We've got new life. It's the gift that he gives us. The newness of life in our purpose and in our power, in our priorities, in our relationships, these are all gifts of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. It is a newness that pervades not just what we do in being good little boys and good little girls, but it's who we are in Jesus. In our union with Him, the new life is being set free, set free from the sin, set free from the self consciousness of our lives that is so beset by the expectations and the judgment of people around us, and set free for the judgment of God, who has said, You are my beloved child. And that is good news. That's why He set us free. Baptism is Almighty God's statement that his intent is not just to save us, but to use us as his instrument of spreading his good news so that others too would know that they are his beloved children. We are not merely the objects of the gospel, but we are ambassadors of that gospel as well, and that is part of the freedom that we find once we have died We are not only received by God in Christ, but we are transformed and sent out as his ambassadors. The new life that we receive in baptism is not only washing away and a drowning of the old man in death, but the raising and the celebration of the new woman, the new man that we are in Jesus Christ, set free because of his gospel. We have a new commission and a new purpose. Now for many of us, baptism happened a long time ago. As I was reflecting on this, I called my mom. Mom, I think I remember at home seeing a picture of my baptism, 1972. A little bitty, grainy picture. I said, could you find that? Can you find that picture of my baptism? I said, I'll look for it. So she, she went digging through the old photo albums at home Ask your parents, they'll tell you what a photo album is. (laughs) And she sent me three pictures back. (laughs) They were my three brothers' baptisms. She was like, I couldn't find yours. (laughs) Middle child. Turns out it was in our attic. Most of us who grew up Presbyterian don't even remember being baptized. But today's service is an opportunity to hear the words again. You are God's beloved child. You belong to God. Even as Jesus heard as the heavens were opened and he was baptized and God said, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. So we receive those words in our baptism as well because of him. It's not a re-baptism, it is a renewal of the covenant that God has made with us, that he will be our father in heaven and we are his children who he makes a family in covenant. As we're reminded of God's gracious words calling us his children, we might recommit our lives to God as well. This might put aside the sin and distractions and noise of everything that's going on in our lives and renew the commitments to say it out loud, to walk forward. And as we hear those words that you are God's beloved child, you belong to him, if the spirit moves you, you might respond by saying, I belong to God. And there is no more profound word that you will ever speak over your life than that. I do not belong to myself, but I belong both body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. I belong to him. And as Dr. Hollinger reminded us last week, these sacraments that we have in the Lord's Supper and baptism don't, are not just for us alone. It's not just a me and Jesus thing. It is about being brought into his family, around his table, calling one another, brothers and sisters, calling God our Father. We are brought into the communion of saints, the family of God. For us here at Westminster, that means something particular. We believe that God has given us a vision to be a people who are inviting others to life in Christ, lived together for the sake of others. If we are going to invite others to live together in Christ for the sake of him and others... The first step of our identity is that we have died to ourselves. We have died to our preferences. We have died to our our own backgrounds and our own thoughts and the things that we are bringing to the table that make us at the center of importance. He is at the center of importance in our church and in our lives. It's who we are. Will Willeman wrote a great book, um, kind of an instructive about baptism, called Remember Who You Are. And in that book, it tells a story of the baptismal font down at Belmont Abbey College, just down the road from here. And Willeman writes that hundreds of years ago, the baptismal font that is in that chapel was the very auction block whereon men and women were sold into slavery. That rock is now sitting at the front of that chapel and holds the waters, the holy waters of God's baptism. And upon it are etched these words On this stone, men were sold into slavery. From this stone, men are now baptized into freedom. That's the gospel that we receive in baptism. We who were slaves, we who were bound, are set free by the one who has claimed us as his own and called us his children. We are set free to live and to be instruments of Almighty God and his work in the world. That is our story. The covenant vows that we make are always in response to what he has first done for us and so I don't know where you're coming from today I don't know if you've been sitting in that same pew for 20 years coming again and again or if this is your first Sunday here and you're wondering what in the world this guy is talking about the invitation today is to come and to receive the waters, of bapti- a reminder of the waters of baptism on your forehead in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To know above and beneath all other things that define your life that you belong to God, that you are his beloved child. If you have children today or if you're an adult today who has not been baptized, come forward for a blessing. Receive the blessing of the Lord on your forehead today. Because later on in Romans 6, verse 14 gives the real charge. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. As we receive the sign of the cross and the water this morning on us, may we be reminded that we belong to God as his beloved children. And that we have been set free to do his good work in the world around us. If we have died with him, so shall we be raised with him. Come to the waters as we sing the praise of God this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that you have not left us alone. Thank you for calling us before we could ever call your name. Thank you for washing us when we didn't even know we were dirty. Thank you for receiving us back when we have wandered far away. God, we're all wanderers. We're all lost. We're all dirty. And yet you call us your children by your grace. Yet, Jesus, you come and you die for us to show us what life truly is. As we receive your mark today of your cross, may we die to ourselves. May we die to our sin. May we die to all the expectations we have of our lives. And may we live toward you, our Lord and our God, by the power of the Holy Spirit.